0: Well, good morning. Good to see all you crazy people out here this morning, a little warmer than it was Friday night. What a joy to gather as we watch the sun rise and remember our Lord's resurrection. This is the cornerstone of our faith, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. And then we're looking at that passage that Aaron read. It's on the back of that bulletin that you have. And you can follow along as I work my way down through that text. Father in heaven, we thank you that you raised your son from the dead. You proved to all that your son beat sin, Satan, and death. And he did this on our behalf so that we would have an eternal existence, an eternal home with you for all who believe. So, Lord, we are here, your church, this local assembly called Riverbend Community Church, standing out in a field, sitting out in a field, watching the sunrise to remember, to commemorate, to worship that Jesus came out of the grave on that first Easter morning. So we ask that you bless our time in the Word, encourage us, strengthen us. Thank you for all that's going to take place on this campus today. May many souls hear the Word of God. May you save and draw people to yourself. May you strengthen those who believe. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The great Scottish preacher Andrew Murray said this. He said, a dead Christ must do everything. A dead Christ must do everything for, and a living Christ does everything for me. If you believe in a dead Christ, you're going to have to do everything. (laughs) You're going to have to uh, prove yourself to be perfect before God. But a living Christ, a living Christ does everything for us. You know, the resurrection was just flooded in unbelief. As we look at this passage, one of the things you're going to see that there was not a tremendous amount of belief until God granted that. In fact, that entitled this message, Unbelief Could Not Stop the Resurrection. And as we'll see as we look at this text, there's this unbelief at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that cannot stop the gospel. The resurrection could not be impeded because of unbelief. Jesus, just a week or so before his death, burial, and resurrection, said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives, believes in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Well, he was speaking that to Mary and Martha and disciples that were with him. And yet, as we come to the tomb, nobody seems to believe, as we'll see in this passage. But God's promises are not based on the contingency of whether people believe or not. God laid down a plan from the foundations of the world that was not dependent upon man. And he he executed that plan despite the lack of faith of people. It's astounding to me after the resurrection that In the ascension of Jesus Christ, there's only 120 people in an upper room waiting for the Spirit. So in no way was the plan of God ever founded upon the dependency of people. For this we're so grateful, aren't we? Aren't you grateful that the resurrection was not because we believed enough to get God out of that grave? It was not dependent upon sinful people. And if it was, there was going to be no plan because we would be in a lot of trouble. Now, let's look and see what God did 2,000 years ago at a sunrise just like this. And Lord willing, maybe the sun will peek through the clouds here as we teach through this passage. Look with me at Luke chapter 24, verse 1. The Bible says on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, that would be the women, bringing spices which they had prepared. Well, first of all, the Jewish culture had no names for the days of the week, except for the Sabbath day that was called the Sabbath. So clearly this is the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday. And this becomes Resurrection Day. In fact, ever since the resurrection, the church meets on Sunday Sunday to honor and remember that Jesus Christ came out of the grave. It is the foundation. It is the cornerstone of what we believe. You can have a Lord Jesus die on the cross, you can have him go to the grave, but if he does not come out, we're wasting our time. (laughs) Do you understand that? And so the church marks it every Sunday. Every Sunday we gather in that building. We are proclaiming the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, all the writers of the gospel describe this morning in different ways, but here Luke calls it at early dawn. As I was driving in this morning around 5, you could just see the crack, just the change of the color of the sky, just barely. And then as we were setting up here, we could start to see evidence that there was a dawn going to break, just like it did 2,000 years ago. It's highly probable that these women that are listed in verse 10 are coming from different places. And the other accounts show that Mary Magdalene is is first to leave the tomb, right? And shes it's possible she's arrived even before the others. And, and the harmony of the gospel is so fun to study because you begin to realize all these accounts make up this beautiful scene there. Most likely Mary gets there and there's no soldiers. They have awakened from their stupor and they have departed because they failed their job. The tomb was empty. Mary's there. She looks in. There's no body. Of course, the other women show up and... And Mary does not hear that first message from those angels, and distraught, she leaves. I want to make it clear that these women were devout followers of Jesus Christ. But with that said, they did not believe Jesus when he had claimed he was going to be resurrected from the dead. And remember, Jesus had repeatedly told them and the disciples that he was to be handed over, mocked, beaten, scorned, put to death through crucifixion, and then buried and would rise again on the third day. Countless times he told them that. And yet, nobody here at the tomb seems to believe that. You say, well, Scott, how do you know they didn't believe in the resurrection? Well, just look at the verse. First of all, they they saw the dead body of Jesus Christ taken off the cross. They, they watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea bury him. To them, he was dead. That was the last thing they saw of Jesus. But notice in the verse it says, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Well, it's clear they believed Jesus was dead, and they were attempting to finish the burial process. They did not believe Jesus was alive. It's interesting, even Orthodox Jews today don't use coffins. They're still directly buried in the ground and And this was true even back then. They were put into a tomb. And so they would take these strong spices and they would anoint the body and try to mask the smelling of decay. And this is what the women were there to do. But my point is simple here. They didn't believe Jesus was dead. They did not believe in the resurrection yet, like so many today. And yet God still awakens people each and every day to the fact that Jesus beat death. But in all reality, the same is true for us, right? There was was this moment when you understood that Jesus Christ died for you, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that moment when it became personal instead of just corporate and, oh, that's a message I've heard Billy Graham or anybody teach. There was a moment in your life where you believed. And that happens to the women and the disciples. Look at verse 2 with me. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. In the other gospel recordings, the women had been discussing the problem they had of getting that big stone from the mouth of the tomb. And again, I think there's evidence here that these women had not believed in the resurrection, but believed Jesus was dead. This big stone's there. He's he's behind that stone. He's dead behind that stone. How are we going to move it? And on top of this, we know that Pilate set guards, and they sealed the tomb. And they were there to stop anybody from taking that body because if they lose that body, they could lose their lives. And so everything points to the fact that the women thought he was dead. I do give these women great credit of faith in that they they went to the tomb with all these obstacles. They were prepared to try to beat these obstacles just to care for the body of Christ. But God was way ahead of these ladies, wasn't he? And the resurrection had been promised throughout the Old Testament. There's great psalms that speak of that the Messiah would beat death. And, it was, and it's the capstone of the gospel laid down before the foundations of the earth. This had to take place. And so in these wee early mornings, Matthew 28 verse 4 tells us that God sent an earthquake. And this quake rattled the ground. And it hit so hard that the soldiers were knocked out as an angel came from heaven. These soldiers fell to the ground, the Bible says, like dead men. And like dead men, they don't remember anything they saw. In fact, it's obvious when you study the soldiers that somewhere along that line, when that earthquake took place and that angel showed up, they acted like dead men and they missed everything. They missed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and they were gone by the time the women got there because they thought they failed their job. Now, the angel, of course, rolls back the stone and he does this with his authority set from God and the strength that the creator had given him. And now the ladies show up. Here they are now. And please remember, the angel did not roll back the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled back the stone to show he wasn't there. Do you know that, right? This is our all-powerful God, our savior, the creator. He did not need someone to roll the stone back for him. He had beaten death, and his father had raised him from the dead, and the result was an empty tomb. Look at verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. There were no soldiers. The stone was rolled back, and the women enter this tomb. And again, notice to the surprise, there's no body. There is an empty tomb, which is such good news to us, but to them, it was not good news. They did not believe yet. And yet again, I think this is just such evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Everyone knows there's an empty tomb. The soldiers knew it. They woke up and they thought, we failed. There's there's no body here that we're supposed to be guarding. It's gone. Soldiers had to be convinced to, by the religious leaders to fabricate some kind of lie. And even that fabrication tells you that there was an empty tomb, isn't there? The women and disciples witnessed this empty tomb. We have person after person looking into this tomb and saying, "These not there. And then, of course, our Bible has been teaching us for 2,000 years that the tomb is empty, that Jesus rose from the dead. Look at verse 4 with me. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near with dazzling clothing. With the body of Jesus missing, the women stepped outside the tomb, greatly perplexed. The Bible says, "Their unbelief in the resurrection of Jesus had had let them out, left them at a loss." But as they stood there, wrestling in their minds of what had taken place. Think about this. God in his kindness sends two angels, another two angels from heaven to relieve their fears. Some people say, well, it's one, one verse, one one gospel account says one angel, one says two. And the Bible does that all the time. It often just speaks of the one who's speaking. Doesn't mean there wasn't another one there. But here in Luke, he records that two angels were sent. Notice this dazzling clothing. Well, this identifies them as divine messengers. And though they came in human form, it seems, they were reflecting, coming from the very presence of God. God was showing his kindness to these two ladies. Look, I'm here to tell you a message these angels gave. We're coming right from God to relieve your fears. But first, verse 5, notice as the women were terrified, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Oh well, first this solidifies that these were just no ordinary men right immediately these ladies hit the ground don't they the presence of god was terrifying particularly if you don't believe <laughs> if you're still in your unbelief and you come and be approached by these amazing beings that are there you would be terrified now listen the body of jesus is gone there's angelic messengers appearing This was all just too much, and these women, notice, are gripped by fear. They're terrified as they bow to the ground. But in order to awaken these devout women from their unbelief, notice what God does. He sent the angels with a divine question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great question. What are you doing? This is a cemetery. Jesus has told you repeatedly I'm not going to be there. I'm going to raise from the dead. It was a question, a divine question to awaken them to the reality of the resurrection. Not only did this constitute the first announcement of Jesus, that Jesus was alive, but it is a statement of truth that he is the resurrection and life. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 says, That he is the one whom death has no authority over, the one who was dead because of our sins, but now is alive forevermore. And this is a first announcement. And this question just awakened these women to the truth. Notice verse 6 and 7, they add more context to it. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Well, what seems obvious at this point to the ladies is the announcement, He's is risen, he's not here, right? And the word risen is an interesting word. You could actually write it, been risen, and it's passive, meaning the Father raised him, ladies, he raised from the dead just like he told you. The father did exactly what was promised. He raised him from the dead. And in, in a, I just love this because in a seemingly non-judgmental way, the angels asked them to recall. Do you remember? Do you remember how Jesus, all those years when he was going around Galilee and, and working his way from village to village and city to city, preaching and teaching, do you remember what he was telling you? In essence, these angels were sent to challenge them to go back in their memory, to search the words of Jesus, because they've now come true. Just what he said. Isn't it interesting, the angels quote what the Lord said so many times. And they use the term son of man. The angels use the term son of man here. And that's what Jesus called himself. And the angels knew, they understood the incarnation at some level. They understood that Jesus came and it was the plan of God for him to step out of heaven and, and veil all of his glory and set that aside and and become fully man yet fully God and be the represent the one who would represent man and be our substitute. they understood that and they marveled at it and they longed to look into and understand those things First Peter says but look at verse eight, I love this verse right here, little short little verse, and they remembered his words and they remembered. His words. Those women now, because of the angels and this great question that was asked and this great statement given by these angels, all of a sudden these women remembered the words of Jesus, didn't they? And look, there's nothing greater when you're suffering or when you've been stuck in some kind of unbelief in your life or when you're gripped by fear or, or sin has, uh, you're in sin and you're not repenting. There's nothing greater than remembering the Word of God. Can you imagine the joy that struck these women when they remembered, yes, that's what he said. Imagine the joy that flooded in their heart. Spurgeon, speaking on this little phrase here, gave names to fictitious people. And he said this, ready to halt or, or poor fearing or Thou misdoubt, despondency, despondency, and much afraid. He's giving names to, to um, sinful characteristics. He says, go there often to the empty tomb. Let it be your favorite place. There, build a tabernacle. There, abide. And often say to your heart, when you are in distress and sorrow, come see the place where the Lord laid. Brothers and sisters, we all go through difficult times, Right? struggles from all kinds of of problems, mostly from sin of some sort, either ours or someone else's. The, The resurrection is an empty tomb to remind us that Jesus Christ beat our sin. He died for it, and the Father looked at that death and said, that will propitiate my wrath. I am good. I, I now see your blood covering all of my children, all of the elect that I'll draw. They'll be all forgiven. You have to go back to that empty tomb from time to time. Some of you carry sorrow and sin struggles for so long. Go back to the tomb, look, and see it empty. See that God fulfilled the plan to forgive your sins. Confess those, repent of them, get up and believe. Believe. That's what the resurrection's about. It's about distilling unbelief and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater, nothing we need more than to believe in the resurrection. Well, look at verse 9. There's more people who don't believe. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Well, the remembrance of Christ's words provoked these ladies to leave the tomb. And they reported everything they had heard and seen to the eleven and And probably to anyone else that would hear. Matthew 28, 8 says this, I love this verse, that the women left with great joy and went directly to the disciples. They had great joy. See, faith now, God had granted them faith, and they had begun to believe. The word of God and faith came in this collision together, and now they had great joy. And you will have great joy when you believe, when you believe the word. The problem is some of us are lacking joy because we just don't believe the word of God anymore. It's just routine to us. Maybe we've been in church all of our life. Do you believe this miraculous word of God given to us, inspired by the Spirit of God, to tell us the great gospel? Well, these women are are lit now. And I think this is awesome because I think this is the beginning of evangelism. These women go and speak of the resurrection to others. It marks the start of something spectacular people telling people that jesus overcomes sin satan and death and these women are leading the charge in that and there's no greater joyful message that we can carry to the lost world than jesus beat sin satan and death tell somebody let the word of god do its work let it bring joy to the lost let it change their position from dead to alive and now the gospel is on its road i This passage right here tells me this is where it really begins. The message of the resurrection started with these ladies. And it goes to these men. According to the harmony of the gospel, Mary was already probably departed from before the the angels told the other ladies. So she's in great distress. She didn't hear this message from the angels. She saw the empty tomb. She's just brought to sorrow. And she turns and she departs and she goes and tells John and, and Peter and by the time the women arrive there, they're merely affirming what Mary said, but they also add to it, look, there was also angels there that told us the reason the tomb is empty is because he's risen. Mary didn't get that first message. She was so distraught. She loved her Savior so much. And when that body was gone, she turned around to go tell Peter and John. And so there seems to be this traffic jam going back and forth after Mary speaks of of Jesus' empty tomb and that the body was gone, she seems to turn and head back. But somewhere along the line, the other women cross past somewhere. They tell the disciples and Peter and John get up and and make a beeline for that empty tomb. The angel's appearance to these women is a beautiful thing, and it reminds us that, that everyone, men, women, children, are all, all equal in the sight of God. We're all fellow heirs of grace. The list in verse 10 is, fascinating isn't it? it says now there were mary magdalene and joanna and mary of the mother of james and this is also other women with them who were telling these things to the apostles and so here's these women telling this truth and there seems to be quite a few of them there it also says these other women now you might think that's a little bit strange you say well why didn't they list all the women or why did they just pick two or three and give names and the, that seems to be the habit of the gospel writers but remember Um, Under the law, in order to confirm an event, there had to be two or three witnesses. And so Luke, understanding the law of God, said, well, here's the three women, and then there was a bunch more. This is to be recognized as something that happened. Also, Mary Magdalene was someone that God had singled out in some special ways, wasn't she? She was demon-possessed and everything that would have came with that. But God granted her eternal life through Jesus Christ, and she loved her Savior, didn't she? And as though she still was stuck in her unbelief, at some level she came to that empty tomb and fled back to tell Peter and John in great sorrow the Lord loved her, and we know what happened. Mary makes her way back. She comes back to the tomb. She's most likely there before Peter and John are getting there. And there she weeps, and she turns around, and there's Jesus behind him, presuming him to be the gardener. She, she still wants to know where that body is. She still does not understand the resurrection. And there Jesus says, Mary. He speaks her name and immediately she knows who he is and she falls at his feet. And what a beautiful, beautiful uh, intersection of the word of Christ and faith that came at that point. Still, there's unbelief still coming at the tomb, right? Verse 11, but these words appeared to them, this is the disciples, as nonsense. And they would not believe. I want to hit the statement again. Aren't you grateful that God planned salvation not based on how we would respond? He knew. He knew his elect. He knew who would respond. But he did it despite unbelief. And here, there are some dangers of unbelief. Notice this unbelief caused the disciples to dismiss eyewitness account. They came back and said, it's empty. But notice they said they thought the women were full of nonsense. The unbelief is rejecting God's word, isn't it? The angels sent were sent to speak for God, and they would not believe it. And it became nonsense to them. And even though their stories all collaborated, there was consistency, there was details provided with, with, with no other explanation than Jesus is not in that tomb. He's not there. I think sometimes we underestimate the gift of faith, isn't it? Look, there's a couple hundred people here. There's thousands and thousands of people that this is just a holiday. Just a time maybe to get some extra time off. But to believers who have who have come to Christ through faith, never underestimate the gift of faith. You would not be here. You would not desire the things of God. It would be a story. It would be something... Maybe there was a Jesus and maybe something spectacular happened, but let's get the Easter eggs out and let's, let's have ham or let's do something. Easter doesn't mean that it, what it means to us. That's where faith has changed our lives. Oh, don't underestimate that. Well, nevertheless, the disciples' unbelief was further evidence that they didn't believe Jesus was risen from the dead, right? Think about it. They could never fabricate Christ's resurrection as the false leaders accuse him of, right? They said they stole their body away. Well, why would that be true when the disciples didn't even believe he was raised from the dead yet? And it just shows there was a lack of unbelief, but there also shows something spectacular happened. Even as the resurrection was reported, they scoffed at these details. It is not until Jesus himself appears to these disciples and says, why don't you believe? Remember, he comes into that locked upper room, and Thomas isn't there. And the next Sunday, the following week, he comes back, and Thomas is there. But in that great statement, just before we finish this last verse, Jesus says, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. He was talking about you and me. Those 2,000 years ago sitting out in a field on an Easter Sunday morning who believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, blessed are those. Peter never forgot those words. He recorded them in his first epistle. Well, let's look at the last verse and then we'll be done. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Well, the other other gospel recordings remind us that John went with Peter and both of them ran to the tomb and John outran Peter for whatever reason. He was probably younger, we think. But, but John gets to the tomb, and you remember he stops short of the entrance. He doesn't go in, but, but Peter comes, and he just runs right by John, and he runs into that tomb. And I, I think that's because there was so much on the line for Peter. Listen, he had promised to stand with Jesus. He says, if all others fail, I'll stand with you. I'll even go to jail with you. I'll even die with you. And yet he denied him, not once, not twice, but three times he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had said, Satan is trying to sift you. Peter had so much on the line here, and he ran, and he ran right into that tomb. He had to see for himself. The Bible later tells us that Jesus appeared to Peter. But God gave a faith to Peter. And you can see in this verse that there's this stirring in Peter now. And doubtless, his mind's beginning to think of the words of Christ. And he starts to marvel, the verse says. Well, in the end, God-given faith always wins. God-given faith overcomes unbelief. It happened to you and it happened to me. God-given faith overcomes our lack of belief. And listen, our God-given faith is the the pillar of the church. It was the pillar of the early church. We're going to look at that in our 1045 service. And it, it causes us to be bold and become unashamed to preach the gospel. God-given faith has you stand with someone who maybe will mock you or reject you and tell them that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God-given faith does. Because you believe that not only did Jesus die on a cross, but he got out of that tomb. And he beat sin and Satan and death. Well, finally, let me end with three questions here. Are you grateful that unbelief could not stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Answer that to yourself. Are you grateful that unbelief could not stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Second question, do you marvel that God wanted nothing from us, even our own human-generated faith? Do you marvel that he didn't want anything from you, even your own human faith, that you could somehow muster something up to try to believe in him? God didn't want that. Do you marvel at that? Thirdly, are you overwhelmed with God's graciousness to grant you faith to believe in a resurrected Savior? Are you overwhelmed with that? Do you Are you amazed that God in his grace said, I will help Scott. He cannot do this on his own. I will help you believe in a resurrected savior though you never saw it though it took place two thousand years ago i will implant faith i'll give you faith i'll grant you faith do you marvel at that well if you answered yes to all three of those then praise the lord keep growing in the grace and knowledge of the lord jesus christ through the study and the application of god's word but if you could not answer yes to all three of those questions Don't leave here without speaking to one of us. Don't leave here and depart not being able to say, Oh, God has granted me faith. I don't know that I have this kind of faith that God has given. We ask that you would meet with us. We truly desire that God will give you faith to say yes. To say yes. Oh, Lord, I believe that you died on a cross. You were buried in a tomb and you rose from the dead and you beat You beat sin, Satan, and death for me. Oh, please don't leave here. There's no greater message and no greater truth that we can preach, not only on Easter Sunday, but throughout the year. Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. It is our remembrance. It is a time to commemorate, to remember, to memorialize in a sense, in a living memorial that Jesus got out of that tomb, that he had proven that he had beat sin, Satan, and death. Lord, we are here sitting in this field to say, Lord, thank you for helping us believe. Lord, thank you for these ladies and disciples living in such an ancient world, and though they lacked faith, you granted it to them, Lord. And once they had faith, they were unstoppable. They couldn't wait with great joy to proclaim the gospel. And so, Lord, may those of us that are here who believe, who have been granted faith to trust our Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, may we, too, desire to share the gospel with one another, with those who come into our ways, our neighbors, our co-workers, All our family members, Lord, give us strength to do that. Lord, thank you for this morning. May you be blessed by everything we've said and sung and done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.